Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we got a special show for you tonight, a bit more of a variety uh, type of show in that we're going to be addressing a variety of different topics all surrounding the same theme. We're not going to be discussing the same thing for the entirety, but we got a nice smorgasbord buffet of like different articles, little things that just add up to a larger story going on. Um, yeah, you see that with the Jake Meader. Mie- Mie- I-, I wasn't sure what it was Meader or Meder until A.D. Robles did his video and pronounced it. I see you know, someone's already familiar with A.D. Robles' content tonight. But yeah, that's generally the trend of what's going on. Um, then we got Owen Strand. We're going to talk about Owen Strand and the Christianity or Compromise Today, as I like to call it. Uh, and we have one other article that I should probably have read beforehand, but I'm just trying to compile things into a nice rundown for tonight. But, and then, and then I don't know how familiar you are with this conversation, Anthony. Uh, you, you have any uh, familiarity with what we're about to discuss? Uh, for the most part, I'm going to fly in a little blind. I mean, obviously uh, you mentioned Christi- Christianity today, which is just a continuous dumpster fire of content and, obviously familiar with the oliver anthony situation so yeah the oliver anthony situation might actually be the best launching point uh because that story is just so revealing to like the priorities of evangelicals and they want to language and tone police him while he is speaking out about the larger laments of american culture and it's like you're going to speak so strongly against this guy and then where are you on any other given any given Sunday on other topics that are very pressing where, you know, it's sort of the we, we got to attack him because he's popular and having fun. And I do have a good meme about that that we'll share when we do a little bit of meme review. We got a small segment of meme review uh, going on today. These are memes that I made early in the week. So I'm going to abstain myself and Anthony in the chat can. uh uh, do the meme review for me. But otherwise, uh, since you're here, don't forget to like the stream to help with those magical algorithms. And also subscribe if you are new. Uh, so we, we're going to do some news gathering. Let me get my tabs ready. Uh, I, I think I want to start off with the Owen Strand story, actually. And this is Owen Strand, who's become very uh, renowned for opposing uh I'd say opposing critical race theory, even though he was very late to oppose critical race theory. So he's kind of famous because he was part of Big Eva. Uh, if you look, he, he has a page over at the Gospel Coalition or used to. And then he switched sides to become, you know, not woke. So he was woke. Then he went not woke. I, I can't remember what year. I think he was woke in 2018 and then not woke in 2019 or something like that. Uh, close enough. But anyway, he went woke and now he's not woke and now he's reverting back to wokeness. And you see that in his uh, rants against Christian nationalism. And it, it, it is just very telling that some evangelicals just suck on politics. And it, it shows this is what Christian nationalism debates kind of showing is that some people really don't understand politics And this is where I want to start off. And that is once I start the share screen. Um, So 
Uh, Owen Strand announces Christians who believe replacement theory is real. And this is based on a tweet by Owen Strand that got a lot of attention. Didn't quite get ratioed, I don't think. But he went on a blocking spree for anyone who really tried to criticize him. So uh, for those who don't know, like replacement theory is a political tool in which mass immigration is used to replace or dilute the native population to achieve desired political outcomes. This has been the driving force of European politics. It should also be noted that when you move a massive block of people, you create a more compliant society. Again, you can read your Bible and you'll see that the Assyrians and the Babylonians, when they did this to the conquered peoples, they would take them and then move them somewhere else. And of course, this is the tool that God would use to exile the Israelites. And that is not quite replacement theory, but Pretty much you're taking one group of people, moving them somewhere else, breaking them from their their homeland. You're taking away their culture and they, those people become compliant. And well, you, the Assyrians were trying to dilute different areas. Yes. To pacify rebellion. Exactly. So and that's what they want to do to the West is to pacify in Europe, rebellion. They destroyed in right wing politics in entire countries. Uh, especially in Western Europe, like you don't really have a right wing in France. Uh, Marine Le Pen is still like California. Uh, she's that far left still. She just might not hate her country as much. Uh, the UK doesn't have right wing politics at all. They have, you know, four left wing parties. I mean, and then Canada the has like five left wing parties. I There's mean, a reason why Trudeau's still there and he can't get not elected is because uh you know the only left-wing party that's really going to challenge trudeau can't get elected they can't you know they, they can't win elections so that that's the case in canada uh you do see a, a resurgence in areas like you know spain i think is having a resurgence and maybe portugal as well italy supposedly you know i i've heard mixed things from their prime minister but entire and then the biggest country that you hear kind of rejecting replacement theory is Hungary, which uh, they, they've kind of gone very uh, public in their opposition to flooding Europe with Syrian refugees. And they're also and the, the most natalist country perhaps in the world from a policy standpoint. As in pro-family? Pro-family or natal being baby-making. It's very interesting because... And we're going to talk about this because I'm going to talk about that later, just the idea of Hungary and why it's a good example of Christian nationalism, uh, especially as it relates to Christianity outstretching its influence in a country that it doesn't really deserve to be super influential in, statistically speaking. Um, and that should give hope for, you know, the Americans who are dooming about post, um, post-Christian post society. Like, Hungary is in a post-Christian society, and the Christians are winning there so that that's your red pill for the day or maybe white pill if you want to call it that so replacement theory is real it's not necessarily about you know what demographic you import i mean for the you know the united states context naturalized citizens vote democrat in pretty much every ethnicity except you know a few exceptions we're going to talk about the cubans they're an exception. I would, I, I want to say Koreans are also an exception. Like Koreans are like very conservative compared to say Chinese in the United States. 
Uh, you know, you know anything about that? And maybe Venezuelans or Venezuelans also conservative. I mean, I know a lot of people say they are, but Korea, Koreans might be simply because of like an outstretched Christian influence in Korea. So yes, that might make sense. I mean, Chinese are more atheistic over there, so when they come to America, they're more or less bringing. Their, I know their I've seen the data on like which which of these are more conservative, and it's like, yeah, the Chinese are. Chinese immigrants are generally more far left, and I believe the Korean ones are actually a lot more conservative, um, which, again, is the Christian influence of Korean culture, which, again, I'm not sh- I, I want to say I read something about uh, Korean culture really primarily exists because of Christianity, because they were conquered by Japan, and Japan wanted to eradicate the Korean culture and Christianity and the Bible were instrumental in preserving Korean culture. So Christian nationalism for the win, right? Um, and that's like a 30, well, it's like 30, 30, 30, as far as Korea, North or South Korea's uh, religious breakdown, like 30% might, like a third identify as uh, Christian, a third Buddhist, a third are like atheists or non-religious. So that's kind of a little breakdown on. I mean, I, I hate to see what's going on in South Korea these days. I mean, they're starting to make artwork that's acclaimed, I guess, but they're also getting super effeminate. And I think it's the Japanese influence. Um, but uh, yeah, just like, you know, bad music and a lot of other stuff um, going on over there. Uh, they're getting a little blue pilled politically. But uh, in Europe, we see clearly that, hey, it doesn't really, again, it doesn't really matter where the immigrants are coming from, Africa, Syria, Middle East, uh, Ukraine, even. I mean, it doesn't really matter what color skin they are. It, it's not exactly good for these countries, and it eliminates right-wing popula- It eliminates right-wing politics and allows left-wing politics to just run rampant. And you, you see that in Western Europe. You s- see that a little bit in Canada. I mean, Canada is just kind of like, you know, very atheistic. And, and then you, you see that in like areas like Quebec, uh, French, Can- French Canadian. Um, but otherwise that that's the game plan for the United States as well. You saw that with California Reagan amnesty, uh, California used to be a Republican stronghold. New York used to be a Republican stronghold. Texas was not. Uh, you know, if you, if you remember, wasn't LBJ from Texas? Yeah, yeah, he was. So you, you you fast you rewind the clock a bit. New York was a Republican stronghold, uh, and then so was California. Reagan amnesty kind of flipped California blue, and now it's pretty much impenetrable because not only is California blue, but they rigged the game to keep it blue. They got jungle primaries. Uh, which, again, helps rig the game to keep it blue and a bunch of other things. But uh, surprisingly, it's not super difficult to get a recall election in California compared to other states. But even still, uh, it's just impenetrable. And New York, New York City is probably one of the chief reasons like New York, again, used to be a Republican stronghold uh, like this would have been a state that would have went Nixon in 1960, I believe. Uh, but, and then things change. So 
lot of uh, and replacement period is more so part of uh, the California story than it is New York story. But you know, you, you never underestimate the influence of New York City, which is basically a state in inside of a state. So the fact that Owen Strand, like he doesn't say he doesn't just denounce Christians for believing it's real. He says, uh, this is the tweet. Sadly, looks like some prominent conservatives have bought into a version of the great replacement theory. They feel the re they fear the replacement of whites or Anglo-Saxon people and culture. This mirrors fears sown among other ethnicities and it's both very dangerous and pernicious. So it's dangerous and pernicious to kind of acknowledge this is, uh, political science 101 demography is destiny right well the other thing is i mean i know we talked about this with other nations um with britain uh how they try there's this narrative that oh all these immigrants coming over are christians so they would actually help christianize america and that's and you know so you have Th this has been like argued several times by big eva Yes, uh, I did an article in April on the Gospel Coalition celebrating Britain's replacement. And this was uh, the the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, which is, you know, probably the big Eva across the pond. And they're trying they made the same argument that, hey, all the, these people are disproportionately Christian. So that means they're going to Christianize uh, Britain, right? And, the answer is, well, what type of Christian are they? Again, because I think in Britain, the, the only, like a, a lot more of the charismatic sects are growing in Britain. So that means, but I don't know what that entails, whether it just means like a Calvary Chapel type or a Bethel type. I'm pretty sure it's not Calvary and, Chapel. And, and it's, I imagine it, it might lean a little bit more towards Bethel or Word of Faith or any, or some something along that line. Yeah, I mean, in the American context, at least, yeah, I mean, as Charles points out in the chat, it's Roman Catholicism, but it's not just Roman Catholicism. It's Roman Catholicism pretty much intermixed with liberation theology. I mean, you know, Pope Francis is a Marxist, right? Well, he came from Argentina, Argentina, South American state, uh, a very friendly to the Axis powers South American state, if you want to go back in history. Um, and a lot of Marxist revolutions happening in South America, and you see, uh, that influence in the church as well. So, uh, yeah, you, you see, you definitely don't want, uh, theologically liberal immigrants to, you know, because they're not going to add the religiosity that you're going to look for in your, you know, society. They're not going to add to that. They're going to dilute that and the uh, other and the other thing is when they when they get assimilated or their children get assimilated they're going to get assimilated in the public school system so they're getting that version of history that version of what america or what britain or what whatever country they're going to is they're so that means they're getting the this country was racist from day one that's the they're getting indoctrinated with critical race theory as their concept of what america is because they don't have any roots here so they can just so the government can pretty much feed, force feed them the narrative. And then a uh, cat asks, "Isn't this a conspiracy theory anyway?" And yeah, that's a, a joking question. But this is the funny thing: is that this you know replacement theory is both denied in its existence and then celebrated by the left. 
That is totally. the that is the classic liberal double speak. They will argue opposite sides of the same argument. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not happening, but it's good that it is. You know, it kind of actually reminds me of like the Holocaust deniers. They they say that you know, they're not just questioning the six million thing; they're just denying the that it happened. And it's like they both think that it didn't happen, and then wish that it did. And you kind of wish they'd pick a side on it, but. Yeah, that that's kind of what they're doing here. They don't they they're denying that it happens, and then they're celebrating that it did. Um, so back to the whole Owen Strand thing. This is just part of his woke revert, and this is political science one hundred and one. The demogra- demography is destiny, and the Democrats are totally aware and self aware that. Replacement theory is a tool to eliminate Republicans from being competitive nationally because they are well aware that naturalized citizens tend to vote Democrat uh, and ethnic minority voting blocks break in their favor with rare exceptions, such as Cubans and possibly Koreans. Uh, Again, Owen Strand is perhaps blind uh, to the reality of politics, but if he's blind, then he shouldn't be leading because that's the blind leading the blind. So that is our stop with uh, the Owen Strand thing. Anything else you want to say about the Owen Strand story that I wrote late last night? Um, no, I mean, we already touched on liberal double speak. And again, the prevailing ev- evangelical narrative that immigration is importing Christians and will actually make America a more culturally Christian place. Again, this has not been proven true in California, it's not really being proven true anywhere else. So the next area that I want to talk about is probably the Oliver Anthony story. So Oliver Anthony wrote uh, Rich Men North of Richmond. And I've already done one video on this. And I did a video in defense of his song and admiration of his song. Even it might even win song of the year if we do that, if it gets nominated, because it's a much better song than try that in a small town and Jason Aldean back down uh, on his music video. So just saying, but this, this song has erupted a lot of debate about, you know, what language is and isn't acceptable. And I I've already done that video and that video talked about how there's five instances in the Bible that use the same language that, um, Oliver Anthony uses in the song. So there's five instances, four in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. You didn't even get to Paul saying to chop your entire phallus off if you think circumcision saves you. No, we didn't get, we didn't even need to. We're we're just going on basic language and what translates. And then since then, I've learned that, you know, whether something's considered profanity or not, largely is dependent on whether it came from Old English or Old French. And ironically, the pardon my French, you know, is that, you know, the French, the French, old French was considered more proper because I want to say it was Henry the fifth or was it Henry the fourth that was one of the first English monarchs to actually speak English. Like you, you got to remember that the Normans conquered England and ruled England for hundreds of years. And the Normans spoke French. They were Vikings that conquered and then they conquered Normandy and then they conquered England. Um, 
Uh, another example of uh, coarse language is Titus 1, chapter 12. Uh, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So yeah, kind of I, mean, like, I kind of like Paul being very insulting about the false teachers that he's writing to Titus about. And, you know, he doesn't address their arguments in chapter one. But the fact is, he opens up calling them fat, evil beasts, and gluttons. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that could be considered coarse or whatever. I mean, keep in mind, what's considered profanity in the American context isn't even the same as any other English speaking country, except maybe Canada. So, I'm not, uh, I don't think we need to, you know, readdress this entire debate, but you've definitely seen the, uh, the church ladies and the concern bros uh, come out on top of this story you saw and in doing so the next article that we're going to talk about is not from evangelical dark web it will be an article on evangelical dark web but i haven't written it yet and that is from compromise today and it's called uh oliver anthony's viral hit doesn't love your neighbor or so we're going to talk about this story doesn't love its neighbor. So this is written by Hannah Anderson, who should delete her account. Uh, she was re she also retweets Michael Ware, who is like an Obama uh, type. So very notorious liberal in the evangelical uh, political space. Uh, rich men north of Richmond is disdainful towards people on welfare. Christians shouldn't be. Really. So what, what do you think of the headline and subtitle? I have not read this article yet. I figured. I mean, obviously it it's taking issue with the whole fat slobs thing or the fat people. So uh, on this is stamps. something I tweeted on the evangelical dark web account is that under Christian nationalism, your taxes won't pay for someone's bags of fudge rolls or fudge rounds, fudge rounds. See, I'm not fat enough to know now, how to get it right. I can actually say, work, having worked at a grocery store, I mean, you know, people on food stamps don't tend to be the uh, healthiest looking people in the world. So the idea that, you know, our welfare state is going towards uh, obesity, it certainly uh, has some truth to it. So it is so we're actually, way, this is way too long of an article. <laughs> so our compassion is actually killing people. When I, okay, so she's like, when I heard these lyrics, Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. That's the lyric she's talking about. And this is about people not getting help from the government, but the people who are getting help from the government are milking it and fat. Like, this isn't as uh, demonizing of people on wealth. It's not demonizing of the poor. It's saying that the government helps out the people who are lazy, not the people who are poor. Like, am I missing something here? No, that he hates poor people on welfare. That's, that's the part you're missing. And she, she wants to talk about herself here. Uh, food stamps are a colloquial name for the federally funded SNAP program that 
serves nearly 42 million Americans, 13% of the population at risk of food insecurity. It grew out of the a depression era initiative that brought excess farm commodities and redistributed them among the hungry. So that's, she wants to give a history lesson. Uh, and so where does she get back into the point? Cause this, most of this article is like about welfare and the history of it. Now, okay. We got some good parts here. Add to this line. Okay. So instead of warning against idleness, becoming a busybody or drifting away from orthodoxy, the context Paul gives in four verses prior to first Thessalonians, uh, three six uh which she quotes about the one who is willing unwilling to work shall not eat uh so she's referencing that this interpretation simply condemned those who needed assistance as obviously not working hard enough if we live in the land of the abund of abundance and opportunity how can anyone but the lazy go hungry add the add to this language Add to this the language of welfare queens and perpetual suspicion about whether SNAP participants were using their benefits responsibly, whether our purchases were both healthy and frugal, or whether we were buying fudge rounds. <laughs> and you can begin to understand why I hid in shame. Now, no, I mean, let's I, just I, stop there because the fact is, she's saying that, I mean, I guess whatever story she did that we skipped over, the point was that, you know, there was a stigma attached to using welfare. And I think there should be. The idea is that, you know, it's supposed to help people get back up on their feet, not become a lifestyle. So, yes, there should be a stigma attached to it. I mean, you can't just go George Costanza and fraudulently filling out your unemployment so you can keep cashing in government checks. Like there should be a, for a season. There should be a stigma attached to taking government assistance that, you know, you're basically, you know, milk or suckling at the teat. So, you need now to, in the UK, their state religion is basically the uh, was it NHS, NHS, which is their health care system. And there is kind of a shame thing going on if you're severely unhealthy, that you're a burden on your neighbor. There's kind of that mentality in the uk and you saw that rear its ugly head in covid uh the idea that you know you're gonna burden our system that we all have to pay into so you kind of see it there that you know again they they were sacrificing people to that system and you know that's conspiracy theories i guess but that that's the truth it's kind of they have like a shame component to people who abuse their system over there uh, you don't see that in America with the welfare system, but even the whole welfare queen thing that grew out of people who are milking the system. Like that didn't grow out of a vacuum that grew out of a real phenomenon of irresponsible people gaming the system. And they had to do reforms about that. I believe in the 1990s, they did the mid nineties. They, they did reforms. So, What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, the idea, okay, of course, many Christians never think or speak this way. Many are deeply compassionate and make sacrifices to help those facing food insecurity. It is often churches and Christians, after all, who stock 
food pantries support food kitchens and organize backpack programs to combat childhood hungry hunger it is christians who show up at church dinners with casseroles in tow it is christians who celebrate our deep faith or our faith with a meal i guess it's a reference to communion when oh. we used snap benefits so she's I believe the story, if I skimmed it correctly, she was her husband's a pastor and they did not make a lot of money in pastorate ministry. So they were on snap. So that that's kind of the story that I, I skimmed through. When we used snap benefits, I found myself wrestling with these contrasts among my fellow Christians and a conflict with myself. On one hand, I was deeply grateful to God for providing for our family. I love being able to feed my ch children healthy food to watch your young bodies grow and develop. At the same time, I felt isolated and abandoned by the very people I worship beside every Sunday, even worse. I felt like they would judge me if they knew how I kept my family fed. I knew we weren't idle or unorthodox busybodies and that I had no choice but to access subsidies. But because of the messages I heard, I also couldn't shake the sense that I was doing something wrong. And if I was in the wrong, I felt I had to hide what I was doing. In total, our family used SNAP benefits for three years until my husband found a position that compensated him fairly. Uh, by then, I'd, work, I, I'd worked through my feelings of shame and was actually beginning to take joy in God's provision of food. Though I realized my shame was unfounded, that did not make it any less real or any less harmful to my soul. And while none of us can single-handedly dismantle the larger narratives that encouraged it. Each of us can make a small adjustment to ensure we are not enforcing those patterns. Um, I guess two things. One, I mean, did she feel shame because she was actually doing something that was morally wrong? As in, her shame is her conscience telling her she was violating uh, God's ordinances. So that's just one instance of whether, you know, she felt guilty because, you know, she did feel ashamed, you know, convicted by the spirit for using the welfare. The second is, you know, church pantries aren't necessarily filled with, uh, I guess, perishable items, you know, like Ho-Hos and Twinkies. And, I thought those are not well, perishable, but, I, you know, they, they come in the bags of, you know, just like a fudge round or yeah. a bag of chips. But oftentimes, like, you know, church pantries aren't necessarily stocked with all the the junk food. They're more stocked with canned canned food uh, maybe cereals and you know grain stuff so i mean the food that a church ministry would give out for like a pantry or is not the same as what, what you can they just would get, get from uh, snap benefits yeah because of the you know perishable unperishable nature of certain foods i think you're right uh and well, well put at that. So she continues, I understand why so many feel Richmond, North Richmond gives voice to their struggle. Perhaps the only thing worse than watching your hard work be exploited and your dreams go up in smoke. It's a sense that no one notices and no one cares. But protest against wealthy elites and government corruption, no matter how justified, cannot ride on the backs of others who are also suffering. The price of accessing food through SNAP or church food pantry must not be the poorest dignity and self-worth. Instead of trafficking in easy caricatures and political stereo and political tropes, 
we must understand the plight of our food insecure neighbors is the plight is our plight as well. Put more simply, we must see their God-given humanity and honor it. Something I'm certain Anthony himself would affirm. Then why are you saying his hit doesn't love his neighbor? If you think that he also affirms this, I don't like, this is just, you're trying to dunk on him and then raise him up afterwards. Again, they're not necessarily food insecure neighbors. If they're like 300 pounds and obese. I mean, I think the 300 pound well, 300 pound welfare queen is very food secure. Again, a lot of people that are on food stamps and, you know, speaking from personal experience in more of a white area. Yeah. They tend to be a little on the overweight side. And part part of the way they, and part of the way they spend food stamps is they use it or lose it. So that means they spend everything they got. And that means they'll fill up their car. They often had full carts, you know, more, more stuff in their carts than the average shopper sometimes so that's that is a real thing so i mean yeah could they like could the government cut their food stamp benefits and they would survive just fine sure yeah i mean now this article is very fascinating because we're about to juxtapose this article with a partial read of a different article so oliver anthony's viral hits uh, not loving his neighbor. But let's look at what uh, Christianity Today or Compromise Today does view as bringing us together. And that is Barbie and Taylor Swift. They are bringing us together beyond hot pink and bejeweled outfits. They showcase a deeper desire for community and collective joy. I mean, can we just. This is by <laughs> Beth Felker Jones. This was written yesterday. So the first article was written today. This article was written yesterday. I mean, let's just divide this in two real quick. Okay, they're doing Barbie because everyone's doing Barbie. So you got to do your Barbie article too. I've already done my Barbie article. Yeah, see? And then Taylor Swift. Like Taylor Swift is like a liberal red flag. You know, it's the guy that's done dating profiles. If you see a girl that references Taylor Swift, you swipe left. You run the other way. Because it's just a liberal, it's a liberal uh, buzzword. Dog whistle, maybe? It's a dog whistle. I mean, and I guess this is, you know, Beth uh, Felker-Jones, you know, saying that she's a rabid liberal. Just in even glamorizing Taylor Swift. Yeah, I mean, it's white liberal girl thing. Uh, So... We, we don't have access because we have to create an account and I don't have an account and I don't want to be a subscriber to this. I already had to open this up on incognito mode to get the uh, Oliver Anthony article. Um, so this is, this is how the article begins. The epic trifecta of G- Greta Gerwig's Barbie, Beyonce's Resistance tour and Taylor Swift's Eras tour, all raking in millions of dollars are taking over social media, really? Having grown adult women revi- re- sorry, reliving, not reviling, <laughs> their youth in the in a tween girl's summer. So I, I just got to stop right there, like, because maybe it's a Freudian slip. They're reviling their youth, um, not reliving, or maybe I'm dyslexic. And then tween girl's summer, that's because white boy summer, or, you know, they got to, like, take back the summer. I, I, that that 
Have you heard of Beyonce's resistance tour renaissance tour? Uh, no, I, I'm not too familiar on that end. I've maybe tangentially heard of Taylor Swift's eras tour, which I've heard has hardly any shows. Like I, I think I heard she only did like 14 shows in a tour. Not a lot. Or maybe she does 14 shows in a year. Not a lot. Uh, and I, I've heard actually more about Lizzo's tour and how Lizzo's not being is withdrawn and removed from consideration for the Super Bowl halftime show. But we're not talking about 300 pound uh, welfare queens with fudge rounds. I mean, anymore. there's a lot of Lizzo's on welfare. Let's just say that. <laughs> that is very true. Um, very true. So, but the enthusiasm and participation are no less among actual young people. Both my 18 year old son and my 18 or my 16 year old daughter, despite never, never having played with Barbies as children and being on the younger end of the spectrum for Taylor Swift fans are all in really, but they all Your 18 year old the... son's a Taylor Swift fan. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you failed there. You, you failed to introduce them to quality music. Yeah. Also talking about the Barbie movie, which is also weird. Like, wasn't there a generation in American history where if you grew up and your parents listened to disco, like, wasn't that like a shame thing? Like, you know, you weren't big into the rock music. You were into disco. Like, there was some sort of shame to that. And as you look, you know, look back, like very little disco is remembered. Like you got staying alive, right? You got the song staying alive and that's kind of it. But much of the rock and roll from that era is remembered, obviously. So same thing here. It's like, you, you know, you got to introduce your kids to good music and Taylor Swift ain't it. Uh, there's a cultural con conversation here about the spending power of women and the female dollar. And there's plenty to be said for this. Barbie, Swift, and Beyonce are enormous capital successes. I'm mm -hmm. going to read the next sentence and then we'll close out because I can't read any more paragraphs. Barbie and Swift's eras tours in particular opened up dialogue about what Michelle Goldberg at the New York Times calls enter entertainment that channels female angst awakening a seismic shift for women in helping women reclaim girlhood without rescinding power. So she reads the New York Times, which just shows you how out of touch she is, and juxtapose that with Oliver Anthony, who's very grassroots, very down-to-earth. I don't This is where uh, Russell Moore's Christianity or Compromise Today is at. I really don't understand how Taylor Swift and Beyonce are related to barbie like what she said might be true of the barbie movie is that it's you know about you know maybe that childhood like parody like i don't know like watch like people going to watch scooby-doo movies back in the early 2000s that were live action you know you get to kind of enjoy the tropiness of scooby-doo but live action a little bit more comedy a little bit more adult centric on some of the edgier humor well i feel like the but, business aspect of this is all wrong the Success of Barbie doesn't show the power of the female dollar. It shows the power of a 
popular brand that's over 50 years old that's never had a you know a big theatric release like this before and i mean that's the like, movie also had a lot of press a lot of free advertisement i mean free advertisement it paired with the oppenheimer it had a star-studded cast including michael Sarah. I mean, so literally, like you probably had a, stars in it, but you probably had a month where people were just like, "Yeah, I'm not going to the movies." And even like movies like a Mission Impossible didn't do all that well. So Mission Impossible a, didn't. Yeah, you know, they they it went in between Indiana Jones, which no one could have foreseen yeah. that flopping as bad as it did. Oh, well, okay, a lot of us did, when, but not you, as bad domestically. When you need to make a billion dollars on a movie, you're setting yourself up to fail. But, I mean, you had a lot of people that didn't – they're not seeing Indiana Jones. So, if they're going to have their monthly movie budget, Barbie wins. So, I – but, I mean, am I shocked it kind of made a billion dollars? Sure. But I think a lot of people – a lot of people in the media, like, heightened the movie. And so, that means you had a lot They more also people. hid its messaging quite well. Yes. So, you had a lot of people that maybe saw it just to get in on the conversation because it was ben more Shapiro. of a water Yeah, <laughs> like a water cooler conversation again i don't see that with beyonce because yeah people that are beyonce fans are beyonce fans i mean but it just shows you the fact that she knows beyonce's tours just shows you what a bubble she lives in i mean back to taylor swift fans being again you know the the era's tour you're aware of all these things that the media tells you are popular right it's like the average person really doesn't care about yeah, but I mean Taylor Swift's fan base is raging liberal single unmarried women, especially those under like millennial or zoomer. So that age demographic's grow like that's just a growing market. And again, she herself is unmarried, so you know. So let's get back to the power of the female dollar aspect. I want to actually hammer that some more. Because again, Barbie succeeded because it was a brand. Barbie is a huge brand. It is probably the biggest toy brand in the world. Other than maybe Hot Wheels, which is also made by Mattel. Um, what What's a bigger toy brand than Barbie? So that said, uh, if the female dollar is so powerful, specifically with reference to the box office, you know, why aren't big budget movies often marketed to, to women? Barbie's actually more of a first in how pink it is to have done this well. Uh, Mission Impossible, pretty marketed to men. Uh, how many of you guys, uh, you know, Fast and Furious 10. That's more male heavy. And it's, again, as dumb as the Fast and Furious movies are, a lot of them are. Um, they're marketed to men and they made billions of dollars uh what what else guardians of the galaxy 3 again more male male slant audience general appeal so this isn't a good point because here's the thing about movies men will go to men will go to movies and if you can get men to go to movies that's a success Men will go to movies and bring their girlfriends or wives with them. With women, it's not as much the other way around. There's, and, th- and this isn't a bad thing. Like, I think there's room to have girl movies. I don't, I'm not against the idea of a chick flick. I'm more against being made to watch them. And I think that's how a lot of guys feel. So I, I think there, 
Okay, so someone says Lego is also one of the is the biggest toy brand. Now that is a contender. Uh, yeah, again, that might which have it. Had very successful movies. Very successful movies. So it's not like this can't be done. Let me check the Rumble chat to make sure there's uh, any chat on Rumble. All right, we're all caught up. So these things matter more actually when it comes to the. Uh, brands and the success of movies in some respects as long as you don't spend too much money to make the movie like you know an mcu movie can can will make like a couple hundred million dollars but if you spent a couple hundred million dollars to make it it's not going to make money and that's disney's problem but i don't think barbie spent that much but they've probably spent well more than that on marketing yeah i mean i just which they don't report I don't see the connection between Barbie and Taylor Swift and Beyonce. It's just because they're two of the largest musicians that are basically of the most popular genre. And, you know, one of them's had a Super Bowl performance. So that's the most televised event and most televised concert. So the resumes of Taylor Swift and Beyonce, as far as their careers, I mean, they're already at the top of the of their career trajectory so to compare them to barbie which kind of just but, came out of nowhere and got a billion isn't I don't, I don't think i think it's disingenuous from the start it's just this person trying to i guess rationalize uh their affection for taylor swift or something yeah and that's what it comes off as and again this is russell moore's christianity today uh, or compromise today as we like to call it so i'm not surprised that this is the result uh, but yeah, and if the seismic shift in the female dollar and the power of it was a true phenomenon, then why don't all these female remakes make a whole lot of money? So I'm going to need an answer to that question before I buy into any more of that premise. So that's the, uh, uh, that's enough out of uh, compromise today for now. Not the worst article. I'll give them. I'll give them that. I mean, they. Why they're trying to go for an economic argument? So you're. I don't know. Maybe I mean, more inclined. I mean, what in the last thirty days they've pushed pro-abortion AIDS, AIDS. Uh... Okay, so they've had a lot of really bad articles lately. Yeah, I mean, they've uh, obviously, you know, Russell Moore going to the gay affirming church. Now, so... if you're in the chat, I want your feedback on this question. So Bryson Gray, he's not really the effeminate type, but he's been coming out hard against Oliver Anthony for the language thing. But he also became popular, not became, became popular in the right-wing circles because of his song, Let's Go Brandon. Now, is that hypocritical? The song doesn't have any, you know, objectionable language in it, but it's called Let's Go Brandon, which is a dog whistle for something that is objectionable. Yeah, I mean, and it's not even a good song. Like, I, no, it's not a good song. I, which I actually a, thought I was. I actually thought Bryson Gray's "Let's Go Brandon" song was something else that was like, you know, more of Christian rap and kind of good. But no, it's a a a a a a like that. It's so bad. It, it's bad rap. It, it's. I yeah, mean, it, it sounds the same as any other rap song out there, and I hate it for the same reasons. Not hey, to hey, hey. not to throw a bone in the direction of James Lindsay, but when he when he kind of talked about how it's like you know oh we're just I guess the fascination with like these 
I guess right wing songs is kind of like getting a win and like using cultural capital to fight back as a protest or whatever, like a postmodern protest. May, I think that's certainly more true with the rap genre than it is for bluegrass country. Right. So there are 20 Let's Go Brandon songs. And there was one that was yeah. very Christian. It didn't, you know, censor the uh, the dog whistling and all that. It didn't censor anything. But it preached the gospel in the third verse, in the extended version. I can't remember who did it. I thought it was Bryson Gray who did that, but apparently not. Brandon McDonald? Or, I don't know. Brandon Tatum? or yeah i don't know but that's the point is that's someone that, else that does christian speaking circuits but that's my <laughs> point i mean if you're asking hey what what music do conservatives more likely listen to odds are country is probably on on the list so they so i think the support for um yeah i mean well, i there are like 20 of them and i tried to look for the one that i thought was bryson gray's and the one that ended up being bryson gray's like wow this is terrible um uh, and I couldn't find the one that I liked. Maybe they got banned from YouTube, but yeah, like that would be like the let's go. Brandon would be a example of people just trying to cash in or, you know, get clout and get build cultural capital for themselves by doing a protest song. Let's go. Brandon, which you, again, you see that a lot more in rap music because you can just come up with rap songs more on the fly. As yes, Bryson Gray does himself, so it's not it's not. Yeah, because we, we I did an article on Bryson Gray's song about the pride flag or whatever. Uh, I forget what it was called, but you know that song was actually pretty. Take decent. back the rainbow or something. Take back the rainbow. Uh, um, that that song was the reclaim the rainbow. It, it didn't do the AAA thing. That you know, that's just no. That's why I don't listen to and rap the, music. And the other thing, you know um yeah reclaim the rainbow and the other thing with uh oliver anthony is that his song like to me a lot of the best music itself is very unrefined like a diamond in the rough kind of sound and you know when you look at even metal bands in the 80s they don't sound as polished as they would if they were to produce an album now but people love their older stuff a lot more than they like their newer stuff so you know metallica sounds very polished with their latest album 72 seasons but you know it's never going to be as loved as you know ride lightning and justice for all or even you know uh master of puppets so they're but that's how he sounds without any studio interference exactly people like i mean people i think like that. people people like the probably the raw unrefined sound and then instead we're getting astroturfed cardi b we're getting told to like cardi b who can't perform at her own concert that's why she threw the microphone and then the music kept on going. So those people got scammed. I mean, they probably should have known they were getting scammed. I've never listened to a rap concert that sounded competently good. Rock concerts, yes. I've listened to rock concerts that don't sound good. I've listened to concerts that do sound good on video. I'm talking about on video. I've never seen... Uh, well, live, tr live tracks are actually a thing with rock music. So. Yes. I don't think that's a thing with rap music. And it's also a thing with worship music. So uh, that's a W for contemporary Christian music that mainstream pop culture music doesn't really have. And then every Super Bowl halftime show sounds suspiciously like an album these days. So uh, that is kind of where so let me know in the chat if you think making a song titled let's go brandon is hypocritical 
uh, and then to denounce swearing and music. I don't know. Because to me, it's a dog whistle. And for that reason, I think it's a little hypocritical because you're start still partaking in the dog whistle, but uh, you're trying to act like you're not. So I don't know. I'll let the chat decide that one. The and next topic. Well, I suppose say with the Oliver thing is that it is a pretty much the people that are reacting against it are probably very fine with their standard of living. I imagine they're not they're they're not the ones struggling to make ends meet. They're probably you know they probably got richer since the pandemic as far as you know they're better off. So I, I do think there's a sense that since they're not struggling, they don't relate to the song. And therefore, it's like an elitism within them is that they reject the song. You know, I mean, it goes back to Mediva trying to be like big. big and, and Mediva has been the biggest rejectors of that song, it seems. Uh, a lot of people from the TMS crowd, not John MacArthur, but a lot of his bros are in that crowd. I, um, so next article that I want to cover is this one. Compassionate Christian authoritarianism. The leftist utopia the right thinks will save the church. So is this off the bat calling Christian nationalism Marxism? Uh, no, it's actually even sadder. The compassionate part only makes authoritarianism more palatable. That's the subheadline. So this was written on the 12th, which was what, this past Sunday? No, this was this past Saturday. This story made the rounds and i am late to the game on this story like where's this uh, one salon oh. <laughs> yes why are we talking about an article by salon like we're like 2018 edgy conservative youtubers or something but this song goes after jake meador meador or mater i don't know how do you pronounce his name uh but jake meador is the guy behind Mere Orthodoxy, which is a play on C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. And it is anything but merely orthodox. It is a very woke publication. Um, and fun fact, so let's actually get into a little history lesson. Um, the term evangelical dark web comes from an article written on mere orthodoxy by Brian Alton, who's a fed, by the way. So there's your fun fact. There's your history lesson. They came up with the term evangelical dark web, and I based my entire brand on the term that they came up with. Now, I know Jake Meador was the guy doing the global warming debate at Gospel Coalition. Yes, so. And he was wearing sandals and borderline cross-dressing as A.D. Robles puts I, it. I think it was a scenario where it's just like I saw the the debate lineup. I'm like, okay, which one's the liberal? Which one's going to be the conservative? The token and you can't tell? No, I think I could tell just by... Which one? Uh, oh, by physiognomy check. Yeah, uh, Midor was the liberal one. So if you saw the thumbnail for this live stream, you, you would have noticed that Jeek me jake meador's head was posted on homer simpson's body when homer simpson got so fat that he could count it as a disability and was wearing a mimu or a mumu i think that's what it was called in the in the episode it was a mumu so he was wearing a giant mumu and that is kind of how uh jake meador dresses 
connects very well to the fudge rounds. It, it, it does connect well to the fudge rounds. So uh, let me catch up with, doesn't C.S. Lewis uh, say compassionate authoritarian is, is the worst kind? I do believe that is. I think it's like the busybody. Yes, yes the, moral the moral busybody busy is the worst tyrant. He says something like that because they think they're actually doing good when they do that. So I do um, think there's a difference between like a nanny state versus more of a, I guess, a patriarchal state as yeah, far as. And then he continues to yell them off. Uh, the status will get bored of, of torturing you, but the person who tortures, I think it's torturing you, but the person who tortures you for your own good will never tire. So. Yeah, because they're doing it for your own good. Okay, who watches The Simpsons? Well, I've seen a lot of Simpson episodes in my life. Uh, that's still good Simpsons. That's not like a recent. That's season. early. Early Simpsons is pretty solid because I think it's literally uh, making fun of. Occasionally 90s. not great, but I'm pretty sure that generally that episode's funny. making fun of welfare reform in the '90s or something. Because Homer gets 300. He gets fat to work. Yeah, he gets Oprah. fat to get the accommodations, workplace accommodations. So it's and making fun that's of the kind ADA. of what Jake Meador looks like, and that's the funny part. So we like to make memes out of people. So, uh, so this is an article uh, written by the liberal media Salon magazine. Uh, John Skiles Skinner is the author, and it is a hit piece on Jake Meador. So last week, the the Atlantic published a plan to reverse Christianity's decline in popularity, uh, and this was an article by Jake Meador. So this is a response to another liberal publication um, where Jake Meador was published in. So Jake Meador, you know, what is his rewards for, you know, working so hard to be published in the liberal media and it is the liberal media still hates him. And that is kind of the story here. They write a hit piece on Jake Meador and for what? not being on their side enough. So Jake Meador's response to this was basically to say that he has enemies on the left and the right, then he must be doing something right. How many times have we heard that from people who have, you know, no principles at all? You know, uh, David French said that he couldn't, uh, David French said that he could not vote for Trump because of Trump's character issues, but David French has embraced every heresy, modern heresy. He's embraced every single character flaw. And he had no issue voting for Mitt Romney and John McCain, who had worse characters than Donald Trump. Like, again, I, I, that's a hill I'll die on. No, Joe Biden has a worse character than Donald Trump. And that's saying. Yeah, that's yeah. an easy hill to die or to make the other person die on. We wouldn't be dying on that hill. Um, Okay, okay. We see some chat about SpongeBob. Well, I got a SpongeBob meme for you later in meme review. I love me some SpongeBob, actually. That's it is actually like Come here's on, the, the thing first, about SpongeBob. The first couple seasons are solid, man. Here's the thing about SpongeBob. They did an episode where SpongeBob identifies as a jellyfish. And no one took him seriously. No one accepted him trying to identify as a jellyfish. And the jellyfish did not accept him identifying as a jellyfish. They they made that episode way before South Park made you know, Mr. Garrison's fancy new vagina or whatever that episode's called. I think that's what it's called. 
they made that way before you know people were buying twenty thousand dollar dog costumes in japan i'm that I think SpongeBob is hilarious, and it's extremely based. Yeah, you know, an early kids show that didn't have ADHD storylines. So. Exactly. I mean, you got to appreciate that. Um, so, uh, I'm I'm pretty well versed on SpongeBob. Everything's a SpongeBob quote with me. Uh, so, and including, and I have the meme for this, uh, and it and I I use the. I, I used SpongeBob to explain the whole uh, Oliver Anthony thing earlier this week on a video. So anyway, Jake Meador, his response to getting a hit piece written about him is to say that he has enemies on all sides. We've heard this so many times and it sounds bad each time. It's just a bunch of people with no principles who want to complain uh, about how their takes suck. Like, that's basically what it is. They want to act higher. They want to act like the enlightened centrist when in reality, the centrist is the person that has no clear morals because the centrist is socially Marxist and fiscally conservative. Like you just want to make communism not bankrupt or degenerate. You just want to be able to fund degeneracy and not go bankrupt at the same time. So that, that's basically what the enlightened centrist is, except you're like the most midwit of midwits about it. And uh, that that's basically it. I, I find this to be a fascinating story. The idea that this is someone who wants to be liked by the world and no matter what, he's still not liked by the world at the end. Oh, go to uh, Revelation, the beast and the harlot. The beast still hates the harlot. And the harlot representing the false church. So the beast still hates the false church just as much as they hate the real church. So that that's kind of the Jake Muter thing. I, I didn't think I'd spend a whole lot of time on him, but it is very much uh, very present in the church that you see people who want to be liked by the world. They want to be published in the New York times, the Washington post Atlantic and uh, Jake Meador's case. He was published in Atlantic. Uh, and yet the world still doesn't accept him. So I just find that to be a very curious example. I think I'm going to 86 the last issue and, or the, one of the last things I wanted to talk about, which was an article on American reformer. And this is by one of those Lutheran gatekeepers that basically says, you know, if there's no room for Jews, then it's not a Christian society. And it's just like such bad logic. No, I guess you shouldn't share the gospel then. But it, it's, that... it, I haven't read the article. I haven't, and it's a long article because it's on American Reformer, which is long form essayish kind of content. But let's go back to the whole Jake Meador thing. And, I, and maybe let's talk a little bit about the concept of the longhouse, which is kind of this gynocratic rule where, you know, the feelings of communities are prioritized over you know, merit and strength. Um, this is not the best explanation of the longhouse concept, 
But gynocracy is another way to put it, which is also something that uh, John Calvin wrote against was gynocracy. I think he also used the word. So that's what Jake Meador represents in terms of he is a strict adherent to the gynocracy. Uh, now, with that said, in two weeks, so August 31st, we're going to have a live stream with Berean Babes, and we're going to strike a nice nuanced conversation, because I know she's pretty pumped up about this, about the whole, the Alibeth Stucky debate, or the idea of what role Christian women can have in the fight to save the church, um, or even a presence in media. So we're going to have a nice conversation about that. Uh, Tom Askell is taking a stance on it as well, because he has Ali Sucky speaking at his conference coming up. So that's a very interesting debate. Uh, we'll get into more of like the Dale Partridge arguments as well. Um, that'll be in two weeks. And the funny thing is I have a nice slate of videos planned because there's just so much going on right now that I'm trying to keep up with it. I've been publishing three articles a day lately and uh, the last couple of days. So a lot of stuff going on and very busy news cycle. But next week, we're going to definitely talk about the chosen and Vody Bacham. I want to get on that story. I want to talk about John MacArthur. Uh, he had a uh, interview that he, that he gave. I'm going to listen to to it all before I ever get into it. Uh, and then we also have a pending story on nine marks and we have a pending story on James Lindsay. So a lot of stuff going on and then a lot of stuff going on that I'm planning uh, is coming up. And then next Thursday, we're going to do a debate or no, we're not going to do a debate. We're going to do a live stream reflecting on the primary debate. And what I want to do for that, because I can't get any guest book for that, um, which is an L for me, but. I'm going to open it up to be sort of a call-in show for subscribers over at evangelicaldarkweb.org. So that's my plan for that, make it a little bit more of a call-in. So hope you guys can be there for that. So with that said, let's kind of move on to meme review. And I got a couple of memes, and I want you in the chat to put in a number 1 through 10 to kind of uh, say how good these memes are. These are some memes that I created this week. So, uh, don't go easy on me because I need, I need the tough feedback in order to get better. Uh, so number one meme on the board, this is a SpongeBob meme. So this is a uh, SpongeBob, uh, and then Squidward, you see Squidward, SpongeBob and Squidward are playing down the, in the sand, enjoying life. I think they're doing la, 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 la. And then uh, Squidward's looking out his window, bitter and stuff like that. So the pietists are Squidward and the Christian nationalists are SpongeBob and Patrick enjoying rich men north of Richmond. This meme got a lot of love on social media. Got to say that. So. I mean, it's uh, a 10 and it is the story of this song is that. You know, the rank and file, the average Joes on the ground are the ones that are enthusiastic about the song. And then the people in their towers, you know, looking down at them are against it. And they have a negative view of the song. So it, it is thematically uh, correct. 
so you're a fan of the meme. I, I think the meme's great. Uh, that's why I made it. That's why I posted it. Uh, so, and I love SpongeBob memes. Favorite meme templates are SpongeBob templates. I mean, I wish, have... I wish they were as mad about the rich men north of Richmond as they were about this song. Exactly. And that's kind of the point that I'm driving home with this meme is that people are having fun. People are getting famous without going through the proper channels. And that's the reason why people are mad. I a hundred percent think that's a reason. Okay. We got someone saying a seven. Okay. Okay. Well, I felt really good about this meme. <laughs> uh, and then the second one that I made, this one I made last night. Um, this one is Francis Collins when children are getting aborted. And then Francis Collins when children are getting trans and it's the same smiling portrait of him and in each instance. So I, I think this one's appropriately snotty. I do not think this one's as good. Uh, I'll give so, it a seven because it is true. I mean, obviously Francis Collins isn't I mean, he's a as monster. relevant, but again, well, he is relevant people, this week. Yeah, this week a little bit, but and that's in why I made general. It. Yeah, we can't forget the bureaucrats who have screwed us over irreparably. So, uh, and those are my memes for today. Like this one, I I I think is not as good as the first one. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you have a final question, uh, send it into the chat. This doesn't need to be a, a two-hour live stream, I don't think. Uh, send in your final questions. Those are some dank memes for review. Uh. I'd like to have gotten more memes than that, but uh, Protestia, David Morrill of Protestia, posted an image of a Christian Post headline written by Kermit Gosnell, and it was like, Tim Keller, you know, Tim Keller's nuance, you know, or stance on abortion made me you know, comfortable about not judging or something like that. Uh, it, it's very... Uh, very good. And uh, Charles says, taking shots at the powers uh, that be is good in my book, nine. And definitely want to punch up. And people are like, he's punching down. And National Review even came out against Oliver Anthony's uh, Richmond, North Richmond, which is the most most National Review thing ever. Like, their reviews always suck on movies and anything related to pop culture. It's just kind of expected behavior. So... Anyway, uh, final question. Okay, here we go. Uh, final questions, get them in. Uh, are you going to watch Conversations That Matter with the Calvinist debate? Sure. No, Conversations with Calvinists. That's a different channel. Uh, conversations with Calvinist debate. Or with a Calvinist. Or Doug Wilson on uh, Millennial. So, okay. So, this is talking about um, Doug Wilson has been challenged by Keith Foskey, right? who's the guy behind your Calvinist. Um, he, he makes excellent videos regarding uh, different denominations and poking fun at different denominations, but always about superior theology because he's Presbyterian. Uh, and he's apparently also on millennial and he's been doing a lot of joke videos about training for the big debate with Doug Wilson. <laughs> it's pretty funny material. Um, I, Need to figure out where that debate is being hosted, and I will definitely be watching that. Yeah, maybe I'll tune in. Might not be the highest on my my tier of list, but again, I'm not huge on you know just watching the 
watching debates and all that, but we will be doing a, a thing on the Republican debate next week, which is more of a forum than a debate per se, but uh, that'll be fun. But this, I mean, what's what's the I don't know. I don't even know when the, this is supposed to take place. What's the debate? Uh, I believe that there will be a millennial reign after Christ returns. I believe the millennial reign ends when Christ returns. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. I mean, when it comes down to brass tacks, you're not debating a whole lot, right? Okay, here's a good one. Are you open to having guest submissions for articles? I do have a thing on the website to submit an article. Uh, and I have actually thought about doing like a letter to editor type of thing for Evangelical Dark Web. Because I mean, I'm interested in increasing volume, but you know, I'm only one person. So I was actually interested in doing the letters for editor thing. So uh, there's a thing on the website on the contact form and you can do something like that there. Uh, that, that was an excellent time to ask that question because I've, I've been thinking about that lately. Uh, question, do you see Alex Jones was heaping praise on Blair White saying he's doing the work of God? Yes, and Alex Jones is probably homosexual. I mean, I can't say I've seen the exact clip, but that's not a it's novel pattern for Alex. It was Jones. a clip posted by Blair White. He has a notorious uh, reputation for liking that sort of proclivity. And I wonder why he's divorced. Um, like, if you search his internet history, it probably contains a lot more Blair Whites, if you understand where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean... And again, Blair White didn't get cut off down there because it's a fetish. Not a mental disease. At least not in his case. Otherwise, he would be uncoverable with it down there. I mean, at least, you know, Dylan Mulvaney, who passes more than Blair White does. Unpopular opinion, but it's true. Um, you know, at least he went with the bottom surgery. Uh, Alec, can we get Alex Jones to host a Republican debate? That'd be funny. No rap, uh, Greg Shirk, who previously said he was on mill, I believe. No rapture one day, the day, the day of the Lord. Listen to Tim Conway. Uh, yeah, I, that's closer to what I believe. Like, I, you know, it's either no rapture, and this might be a more semantic thing, or all the believers come to greet Christ as he returns. But when dispensationalists, talk about the rapture they're talking about passages in which the evil people are whisked away from the earth like it's the meek who inherit the earth it's god's people who inherit the earth god's people aren't taken away from the earth that's yeah the, the evil people are taken away from the earth the reprobate are taken away with the earth <laughs> uh yellow mop says i was about to disagree with your take on dylan mulvaney and blair white but i threw up instead <laughs> I mean, I just don't have an opinion. I just think they both look Well, rough. I just think having less plastic helps. Yeah. I, I, I think that's... And being naturally super scrawny. I think that and plas less plastic helps. When you look like you're a plastic face and you get DSLs installed, like you don't... You, you stop passing because you already send up the red flags. Uh... You know, that, that signal Adam's apple and uh, stick and berries, you send those red flags way up. So that's the only reason I say that. 
and he was a theater guy. <laughs> so it's acting for him. Uh, let's see. I've listened to both sides. I'm open to eschatology and I am as well. I, I just don't, I actually find post mill and dispensational pre mill to be the least convincing camps. That's just my research on that. Uh, I mean, I just find it funny. Uh, Doug Wilson debating on mill versus uh, post mill. Just like uh, he, oftentimes, got, he got memed into the debate. By and, and oftentimes those two get lumped together anyway, especially by like the, pre-mill Disby guy still like Spencer Smith he might you know, those two camps get lumped together all the time Spencer Smith is pre-mill Disby isn't he because he did the third Adam thing which was very pre-trip rapture I don't get the third Adam thing but that's just me I, I, like, I know that Spencer Smith mentioned our channel once and he followed that he he did a disrespect and then followed that up by recommending Christian Christianity today and their material and that was over nefarious. So I felt yes, and that was over the nefarious movie. So he didn't like the fact that we promoted a movie, or reckon you know gave a movie a good review. It's like really, that's a reason not to listen to a thing. And he says, the uh, Elmont says, Third Adam Harris. Third sounds like Harris. Third Adam like is about New Age, so it's actually very good for it's, it's again not necessarily the best on eschatology. But he does know his own eschatology very well and how it ropes in. But it's about basically New Age, how Catholics and the uh, New Apostolic Reformation are pretty much going to team up together when the after the rapture. So you, the false church. So, he, I mean, he's kind of explaining how like a one world government and a rapture church. And a, I mean, it's about the New Age. Also, it has a lot of good content on if you ever want to debate it. Keith Foskey's Baptist? Doesn't he always do the superior theology for Presbyterians in his videos? I, I assumed he was trying to you know beef up himself there. Are you telling me he's Baptist? Like what? I, I'm pretty I thought he was Presby. If oh, I'm yeah. wrong about Third Adam has good uh evidence if you needed material on like continuationism, like particularly like explaining the spirit, speaking in tongues, things like that. It has a lot of good content on that. So Okay, so we if you have an hour and a half, I thought based on the videos, he was Presbyterian. No, he's just making fun of Presbyterians and their uh, belief that they have superior theology. My bad. I thought he was making fun of himself. Like I knew he's doing that. I just thought he was making fun of himself. I thought that was him making fun of himself. So anyway, I think that's uh, all we have for tonight fun fun uh live stream we'll do more of these and we'll catch you on the next one what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co